Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I'm your host, Tommy. Actually joined by Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. It's the Inside Carolina radio show sponsored by Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill. Buck, beautiful day on Saturday. Uh, it could not have been more perfect weather for football, for tailgating uh, in Keenan Stadium in the Bowls lot, met some nice people, uh, watched the football game along with about 10, 15,000 of our closest friends. Uh, your overall <laughs> thoughts on the game, Buck? I mean, seriously, it was a perfect day in Chapel Hill weather-wise. It's um, cold. It's too cold. The ball, nah. uh, it was perfect at where we see it because it was about 65 in the bleachers. Nah. Um, Buck, your thoughts on Saturday? It's below 85, no, no, no good. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, my thoughts aren't any much different than yours. Um, you know, it given the, the run up to the game, I was listening to what everybody had to say about it, and um, I was expecting obviously North Carolina to win, they were 31 point favorite and they didn't cover the spread uh there was some a repeat of some of the uh same things that we have seen in uh from unc all year long in some respects um the 38 yard throw that manny miles can apparently make and nathan elliott can't was fun to watch um (laughs) Um, uh, and, and it did spare Cade Fortin, I suppose, uh, we we're not talking about that this week. Uh, his, he can play against NC state if he's able with, uh, no fear of losing his red shirt at this point. Uh, I thought the onside kick, well, might've been a little cheap, but still fun to watch. Um, but you know, it was, uh, we had a great time. Uh, of course, we had some uh, IC subscriber that won uh, tickets uh, from listening to this podcast with us. He was a fun guy, former highway patrolman, by the way. Um, I didn't let him see my driving record. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, great guy, him and his daughter. And uh, Tommy and I had great fun at the tailgate, uh, which, you know, I have to say, I'm, I'm really enjoying being able to tailgate and sit in the stands. Uh, with a hoi polloi like uh, Tommy and everybody <laughs> else. Uh, no, I'm just kidding there. It's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. And uh, it was a perfect day uh, to watch a game. But unfortunately, a lot of people chose not to take advantage of it uh, this past Saturday. Yeah, it was pretty uh, low-key ball game. It was one of those ones, like you said, you knew Carolina was going to win. The only thing was, you know, how is it going to happen? And, you know, the, kind of like the tree falling in the woods. Jason, one thing that was cool to me uh, was seeing Manny Miles play. And then they brought him in for the Hail Mary, but he played a lot. It's good to see him play in front of his pops. His pops now has to go to Kansas and be the head coach at Kansas, which should be very fun. A great place out there if you like tornadoes and – thunderstorms but jason let me get to the point buck and i think mac brown needs to be the guy and there's reasons why but i want to know your initial thoughts on that statement 
Well, we already know his initial thoughts. He, uh, yeah, you know my initial thoughts. My initial thoughts. I'm giving him opportunity to revise those before we blow him up with why. <laughs> yeah, my my initial thoughts. You know my initial thoughts begin with big and end with mistake. So I'll just go ahead and here leave it but, at that. But we talked about that, and um, I can't really understand why people think it's such a big mistake. My biggest thing is, and, and Jason, you said, yeah, all this is all well and good until you have to coach a game or whatever or kids lose a game. But if Mike Brown came in at North Carolina, he doesn't have to coach a lick. I don't think. I think he hires good recruiters, good coordinators. He does the recruiting. It's instant respectability for North Carolina. There's no learning curve. I mean, tell me why, rationally, tell me why, somebody else that's maybe not as well known should be the guy because there's going to be a guy one way or another because i've listened well okay where to even start with this my goodness there's just so many reasons um okay i'm going to start by saying that i have because i have listened to mac brown provide color commentary on games and his judgment in terms of what he would do situationally and how he believes that games should be approached in terms of important situations demonstrate that he is not only so far behind the curve in terms of the way that those decisions have been demonstrated to be properly made, uh, but that his, his thinking will lose teams extra games beyond what, uh, what that team's talent level has simply because of the game management decisions he's going to make as a coach, uh, which is what happened at, te- at Texas uh, toward the end of his career as well there. Uh, and it's certainly some stuff that we've seen at North Carolina of late. So if you want to have a coach who's going to infuriatingly just cost you games with, uh, with, with poor management decisions and poor, uh, uh, you know, poor in-game decisions then feel free to hire mac brown number one uh they've got that I, now so yeah, they've got that now i i'm not going to object to that but if you're trying to improve on what you have now then that ain't it in that regard you're not getting any better on ter- in terms of game management when, when and, and again i have now multiple years of listening to to what he has to say in terms of his philosophy his vision for different things and i'm sitting here going nope that ain't it so that's number one number two is i don't want to be a a full coach down okay fine you hire a guy and you say don't coach just hire good assistants and be a good figurehead representative for the program and try to bring instant credibility to, to unc and all this and now you're down a coach compared to the teams that actually have a real coach, a coach who who uh, who is going to be able to to provide some benefit at that uh, at the head coaching spot. Okay, that's a problem. Uh, beyond that, I don't think he's going to provide. If you hire him, he provides instant credibility in the way that people who remember him in his first trip at Carolina remember. I mean, the Mac Brown that they're hiring is not the Mac Brown that was at UNC back in 1999. 
98, 97. I guess 97 was his last year, right? Uh, yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, so it's 97. Uh, the, we're, we're 20 years after that. And the, and, and there's some, some good evidence. If you look at when coaches have tend to have success that once you get beyond 65 and really for most coaches, even, even a little earlier than that, coaches stop having the same success that they did before. I mean, you want to bring up the guy that I played for, Bobby Bowden. Look at what happened to him in the last 10 years of his coaching career. And he's, you know, he's a Hall of Famer, an all-time great. Look at what happened when he got a little bit older. The difference between a 65-year-old and a 55-year-old in the coaching game is massive. And you're talking about a guy that's going to be 68 before he ever coaches a game. So... You have to persuade me that that this guy not only is going to be an exception to the rule that multiple years out of the game is going to be of of minimal uh, minimal impact. That being a guy that no player remembers, no no kid that's being recruited remembers coaching a game is going to that's going to that's not going to matter. Uh, you know, th- he's not a household name to the recruits that that that. Are, uh, that are out there today. He just isn't. You know, you have to tell them like, oh, that guy won a national title, you know, back when you were six. Oh, okay. Um, and then you're going to have to tell me that he's going he's gonna to be an exception to the rule that coaches after about 55 to 60 years old tend to have diminished performance in terms of, of, how, uh, of uh, their on-field record. And, and again, you can go coach by coach on this. There are very few exceptions to that rule. Uh, you know, Nick Saban probably will be one once he gets there because he's got that place humming so much. He's but, already there. Yeah. I mean, aside from, aside from a guy like Saban who built that when he was a good bit younger than that. And then, and now, I mean, Saban could basically fall asleep on the job, wake up two years later, and they'd probably still be in pretty good shape. I mean, they wouldn't. They wouldn't uh, be winning national titles necessarily with him asleep at the wheel, but he could fall asleep at the wheel and they'd still at least be in their lane. But starting and rebuilding everything at the age of 65 or 68 is totally different. And, and then you add to this that Brown, in terms of his conservatism offensively, yeah, he adopted some more spread stuff as he went to Texas once he, once he got uh, Vince Young and then, Colt McCoy and so on, but he's still fundamentally a very conservative offensive coach just in his approach. And you, you bring that into to Carolina and that's not a good fit. I just think it, you know, the bottom line is for me, you don't want to go backwards in terms of trying to recapture the past. You always want to skate to where the puck is not where it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. And in this case, what, 21 years ago is last year being 97. And listen, I have a ton of respect for what Mac Brown was for who he was as a coach at, at North Carolina. I mean, what he did at North Carolina in the nineties was amazing. I mean, he made, he built this program into a program that that's capable of winning a national title. And he deserves a tremendous amount of respect for that. He deserves maybe even more respect for being able to win a national title at a Texas program that underachieved 
for decades before he got there. I mean, they're loaded in terms of their resources and everything, but that guy's the one guy that was able to actually get it done. Tremendous amount of respect. But to me, if you hire him at 68, three years later, four years later, you're regretting that. The, the, you could get the equivalent results in terms of recruiting by hiring a really dynamic, really impressive, going to fill a living room, 35-year-old who, you know, okay, maybe it doesn't work and he flames out after four years, but at least he recruited really well for three years. If that's what you're going for in terms of getting credibility, then you hire, you know, a Mike Norvell or, or a Seth Luttrell or somebody who's going to probably be able to recruit pretty well just on, on in terms of being young and dynamic or whatever. Um, but to me, you just don't go backwards and you don't hire a 68-year-old for the North Carolina job. I just think it would be a, the wrong call. Wow, that was a that was an impressive uh, shoot down of Buck and I's idea. But let me talk about Jersey Mike's subs right fast. Jersey Mike's, of course, of Chapel Hill is core sponsor in this podcast, and, and you do this, and you go to jerseymikes.com dot slash order, enter the code Heels fifteen after you've picked everything you need to eat for your tailgate, for your dinner, for your lunch. Enter the code HEELS15, get 15% off your order. Do it today. You got the Chapel Hill area locations. You got a new Chatham County store that opened a couple weeks ago. You can do it on your way to the state game for tailgate a little early at a noon game, but you can do it after that game. Get something on the way home. Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. www.jerseymikes.com front slash order. Pick your location in the Chapel Hill area. Order your favorite sub, Heels 15, get 15% off, save that money, support the Inside Carolina podcast. Buck, it sounded really good after several bourbons uh, at the tailgate, but you're up. <laughs> well, you know, I, Jason makes great points. I mean, I, I'm not Dang straight. I'm not, <laughs> I, I'm not going to. Uh, to quibble too much with what he had to say. Although I think there are some factors that, um, you know, need to be brought out. And, and one is you're right, Jason, that, you know, uh, kids that were four and five years old when Mac Brown won his national title in 05, aren't going to know who he is. And, um, that's absolutely true but his parents are going to know who Mac Brown is and probably know real well who he is if they're in the state of North Carolina. And, and one of the missions of uh, whoever comes to North Carolina next is to recapture their totally lost recruiting uh, cachet in the state of North Carolina. We'll look at this year's class. North Carolina is getting hardly anyone uh, out of the say top 50 in North Carolina. Uh, so the, the parents are definitely going to know who he is and the high school coaches, the high school principals, um, <clears throat> everybody that is an authority figure in their life is going to know who Mac Brown is, particularly in the state of North Carolina and, sure. you know, in, in some other places. Um, another factor I would think is that, you know, there are going to be some bills to pay when 
um, North Carolina makes this change. Uh, I, they're not going to pay the whole 12 million. I don't think they'll end up paying that much. Um, you know, when all is said and done, uh, you know, it, it could be a, a thing where Larry Fedora decides to, you know, take a lump sum payment and move on with his life instead of, I, I assume they have the option of paying him out year over year for the next ever how many years. And he might rather have a smaller sum all in one lump sooner. So, but there's still going to be bills to be paid. And if, you know, they were talking about paying uh, Fedora, well, they are paying Fedora 4 million plus a year. And they were talking about propping um, Larry up with a couple of million dollar coordinators. And they could probably end up paying Mac Brown less than what they're paying Larry Fedora now and still get those million dollar coordinators. And, but still you got bills to pay and nobody is going to get big time donors at UNC to open their pocketbooks like Mac Brown will. Um, he is beloved by many people that are still writing six figure checks to the university. And that, to me, is the bit, the best argument for him, by the way, is, is the fundraising side of it. I think he's, he's obvious. I mean, the dude is dynamic when it comes to that stuff and in terms of holding that kind of room, no doubt. And, and, and on top of that, uh, and, and going along with that, is that he, he's just a natural-born salesman. The, the guy that can sell an uh, a ice cream uh, stick made out of ketchup to a woman in a white dress. <laughs> well, I mean, he's got a lot of, I mean, personality wise, he, he strikes me as very, very similar to, to Bowden, to Bobby Bowden in terms of, of his style and what he's able, you know, how he's able to read a room and all that really dynamic re- and, and really sharp in that regard. No doubt. And you know, that's a plus no doubt. So when you, it gets in those living rooms, you know, with, um, these high school kids, he's, he's just a salesman. You know, he's going to sell the university if he only stays three years or four years, which is probably about all you would want out of him and find a successor. Then I think you have the opportunity to have a program with a much better roster three, four years down the road than what they have right now. That's if the the big, the big caveat there though, is, is he going to be able to sell parent? Not, I mean, the parents are going to know who he is, no doubt, but is he going to be able to sell everybody that at 68, 69 years old, he's going to be there in three years? Cause that's going to be the negative recruiting that's going to be used against him. I mean, that was certainly what was said about Bowden when he got over, you know, 65, 68, 70 years old. And it got really bad once he got into, you know, into his seventies, that that's hard to recruit against. Uh, Roy Williams seems to be doing okay with it recently. Yeah, Roy's in, Roy's in a different situation there, though, but too. Especially since situation, I grant you that. But especially it, since uh, probably you're, you're recruiting kids done. for shorter. You're recruiting kids for shorter terms usually in college, right. and right. and it's sort national of like title. you know, recent. Yeah, it's yeah, it, not just national it titles recently. Basketball. Yeah, you're you've got a top three brand in not just in in college sports, which you know you can I, argue I UNC it. is, but it's a top three brand in the sport. I get it. I'm just saying that it doesn't mean that it can't be done. Right, I agree with that. 
Yeah. I do agree and, with that. And if anybody can do it, given the nature of who Mac Brown is as a person, it's him. Um, but all that being said, and I think um, even though I certainly wouldn't be angry or upset or ticked off if they went a different route, you know, I, you know, I'm I'm sitting here waiting to be convinced, just like everybody else. <laughs> but I, I look I look out there at the landscape of what's available. Uh, and, you know, there's a, a really nice thread up right now on uh, uh, the Tar Pit Premium Inside Carolina's football board um, begun by Mac uh, TP, TTP, who is, you know, a been with IC or been posting for IC for, 25 years now, I guess, or at least 20, um, who is, you know, the guy, the go-to guy when it comes to these, uh, looking at coaching records and sorting out things in the buckets and so on and so forth. You, you look at the list of what's available and what's gettable, who you can get off that list and who you might not have such a great chance at, you know, which of those names leaps off the page that you would say, <laughs> this is a no miss candidate, you know, there, there um, is no, no miss candidate for this job. I, I, I don't think there is one. And, 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 and that actually is another argument that you can make in terms of, of Mac Brown, where you're saying, okay, if there's a, let's say a 40 or 50% chance that whoever you hire is going to fail, then well, <laughs> and, and, you know, realistically, you're right. I mean, out of the, out of the, out of the list that he, that he put together, which I think is a good list. I mean, they're not getting Matt Campbell. They're not getting uh, Mike Gundy. They're not getting, uh, you know, some of those guys. You know, Bob Stoops does not want to coach again from everything I've been told. Right. So, you know, those those are those guys are not not options. And then when you start going, dipping down into the young guys, well, you know, there's always, there's always risk. So, you know, you're right about that. Now, I will say this. I would much, I, I think, but, or I think um, Mac Brown, would have a much better success or much better chance of success at Carolina than say hiring less miles or Butch Davis at this stage. Uh, you know, you get some people that, you know, want to go back to Butch Davis, which wouldn't happen anyway because of the nature of how that all went down. But, you know, less miles who, who just, uh, he's going to, to, to Kansas, as was already mentioned, less miles would have been an unmitigated disaster especially in terms of the high school coaching culture in the state of North Carolina at North Carolina, at least in my opinion. And that's, and again, the guy can coach. I just don't think he would have been a good fit for Carolina at all. I think it would have been really bad. I think, I think, you know, somebody like Mac would be a better choice than, than, than less in terms of guys that are, that are out there in terms of former national championship winning coaches who might actually have been willing to take that job. I think Mac would be, a better choice than somebody like Les. So, you know, he's got that going for him. Jason, yeah. my thing with the, you know, Mac Brown recruiting and the use of he's not going to be there in three or four years or four years. How could you say that if you hired a, a and I don't think Venables is leaving Clemson, but somebody like Aranda or some of these high price coordinators, I mean, what's the likelihood of them staying at a place like North Carolina for more than, four years i mean oh, i think it's pretty high 
I think it's pretty high. I mean, that's the thing is that a lot of coaches in the, in the industry believe that North Carolina is a top 15 job, top 20 job in the country. So you're looking at, I mean, it's, it's, you know, depending on how you tier it out, I, I have it tiered out as basically a tier three verge of tier two job, uh, you know, with your top tier jobs, uh, basically being, you know, the, the true blue bloods, your, you know, uh, USC, Ohio State, uh, Georgia, uh, Florida, you know, Florida State, you know, those, those, those programs are your top tier jobs. And then your, 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 your tier two jobs are just a notch behind some of those guys. Uh, and, you know, North Carolina is close to that tier two range. Uh, you know, a lot of coaches in the industry believe that you can not only win a national title at North Carolina, but you can be consistently good, especially in the coastal, you know, North Carolina should be a top two, top three finisher in the coastal year in, year out. And, you know, most, most coaches are going to look at that job and go, there's no reason if, if, uh, if I get this program going the way it should, that we shouldn't be competing for the division basically every year competing, not necessarily winning it, but competing for that division title every year in terms of the, the, the national brand, the brand in state, the amount of talent that the state produces and that adjacent states produce where kids are at least going to be willing to listen to the, to the Carolina blue uh, wearing coach that's coming in with that logo and Jordan brand and all that. Uh, And then, you know, you look at Chapel Hill as a, as a, as a campus area and all of that, the school sells itself. And so the thing, and, and the, the, the nature of a lot of these jobs have also changed in that the, you know, the money is, is closer now. So, you know, back yeah, if you get a if you get a coach that comes into North Carolina and and wins big, and then let's say a USC or a Texas opens up, then yeah, Carolina's probably going to lose that guy to that job, like they did with Mac Brown. But in the absence of one of those, say top ten, top eleven jobs in the country opening up, if a guy's at North Carolina and he has it rolling, which is the reason that a guy like that would leave, it's going to take the NFL. And that one is looking less and less appealing to a lot of college coaches now too, because why go to the NFL and make $8 million and get fired in three years when I can make $4 million for 10, 12 in college. Right. So in the same thing, why the, 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 the calculus has now changed. If you can make $4 million a year at North Carolina and have success there in a job where you can win, why would you decide like, okay, let's say LSU offers you. Well, LSU is going to offer, let's say LSU offers you six. Can you tell me what the lifestyle difference between $4 million a year and $6 million a year is? Like, really? How much of a difference does that make? It's not a big difference, at least as far as I know. And yeah, I mean, that's a couple extra million. But here's the thing. When you're at LSU, you have to, you have to coach against Alabama, Auburn, Texas A&M and, uh, and Florida on your yearly schedule. When you're at North Carolina, you got none of the above and you're, you're making a little less money, but your chances of winning and your, your institutional advantages over your competition are higher and coaches consider that. So in the absence of 
of you know just the the perfect storm, those guys are going to stay at North Carolina now more likely than they even would have when when Mac was was there when, when the first time when Mac Brown was there the first time he wouldn't have left for just any job. It just so happened that it was Texas. I mean, Texas is you know probably a top five or t- five to seven job, and in terms of resources, is probably top three. So you know, aside from those, yeah, you know, you get a you get a young guy in there. It's going to be really hard for somebody to say, well, you know, he's not going to be there that long. That guy's going to go. Are you crazy? You know, he he can sell that to a kid pretty quickly. Like, no, 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 no. Listen, and he can explain that out. Like, listen, we can win titles here. Why would I go there and fight that out when I can come and win titles and I can get players like you here too? That's easier to argue against. Staples continues to make good points. It's a tough argument, but we'll get there. First, I want to talk about HeelsTravel.com. It's the best place for you to book travel to see Carolina basketball games. And right now, the special is HeelsTravel.com is offering that package to Chicago to see Carolina and Kentucky on December 22nd, one of their big game, biggest games of the college basketball season. Visit HeelsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book your trip. The package includes nonstop airfare from RDU to Chicago, transportation to and from the airport to the hotel, two nights stay at the Chicago Omni where the team's staying. Great time to see Carolina basketball on a huge stage against a, another blue blood basketball team right around Christmas time. I've said it over and over and over, and I mean it. Chicago at Christmas is beautiful. Little cold, you can deal with the cold. You can deal with the Christmas decorations. They are beautiful, and you get to see Carolina and Kentucky on December 22nd. So go to HillsTravel.com or call 336-855-0060 to book that trip. So, Buck, who moves the needle on Max Thread, which is a very detailed and now long thread? Who, who moves the needle other than Mac Brown? Because, I mean, I like the idea of Satterfield, but... That's just because he's a North Carolina guy. But all these other guys I'm looking at, um, you know, I'm not feeling a bunch of them. Who moves it for you, Buck? I don't know. And and I don't know how much this Knicks factor comes into play. You know, there there are some guys that I I do like um that they that are have some interest to me. I probably the guy that um as far as someone at a G five school, I like Neil Brown, I think. Um, but here's the thing with, um, part of this list that I don't know how much of a factor this is. And Tommy, you can give me your feelings on it. And Jason, certainly I want your opinion on it, but so Larry Fedora gets hired by Bubba Cunningham in 2011, end of 2011. And he's a, guy uh, has a reputation as a offensive guru has a really big year his last year at Southern Miss wins the uh the conference championship in Confusa and he has some experience as a uh offensive coordinator at Florida and Oklahoma State but he's only been a head coach at a G5 school and he's an offensive guy would Bubba go back to that well would he pick somebody where the differences aren't that much different than his first go around 
uh, you know, would anybody view, say, Scott Satterfield or Seth Luttrell or Mike Norville or any of those guys any differently than Fedora was viewed back in 2011? And how does Bubba, if he picks one of those guys, sell that? That, okay, none of these guys, only one on that list currently at a, a G5 school that's been a head coach at a um, P5 school is uh, Lane Kiffin. And oh, God, I'm just no. saying, I'm just that saying. That would be the biggest mistake right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm just saying, I think that, you know, I, there are some things I like about Lane Kiffin, but there's a lot of I don't like about him. And um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's even an option, uh, but he he fits into the, you know, that bucket of G5 candidates. Um, but how does Bubba Cunningham, if he picks one of these guys uh, on that G5 list uh, that are head coaches, all of them are offensive side the ball guys. How does he sell that as well? Uh, I got the wrong offensive guru G five coach the last time, but I've got the right one this time. Well, here's a question before before we go on on that. I want to ask this, and and you know those those who've listened to this podcast for years know that that we've we've criticized Larry Fedora plenty over the years. I mean, especially, you know, open, some of the, the eggs that they've laid in the season openers and all sorts of things. We, we've, we've, we've criticized Larry Fedora plenty. Here's a, here's the interesting question, Buck is was Larry Fedora the wrong hire back then? Cause here's the, here's the, the hard part about that is that, you know, coaches messages go stale after a while. And if, you know, certain things go wrong, even a good coach Sometimes, you know, it just, he, he stops being the right coach for that job, but he was five years ago, you know, yeah, and, and I, I, I get what you're saying. And there's something to that. And, um, it's, uh, a little dangerous to say anything good about Fedora at this point, um, that, uh, will fall within the ears of a UNC football fan base, but you, you're, you're right. Looking at it at the time, was it a bad hire? I, you know, and and the and the results I, I, overall, I, and, the results and, overall. Know, was it was it in year five he won the coastal division title and uh, went eleven and three played for the ACC championship. Maybe you could make the argument that he wasn't a horrible hire then, but do you go back to that same bucket? Uh, does Bubba go back to that same bucket and say, well? this guy's going to be different. This is, this is going to be different, even though it's uh, a guy that, you know, it's not a household name that you've heard of, uh, you know, all of us and a lot of the people who read our message boards, they're pretty intelligent guys. All of them have heard of, you know, PJ Fleck and, and uh, you know, or going down to the G5 list. They've heard of, Neil Brown and they've, they've heard of Scott Satterfield unless they've been living in Norway. And, uh, you know, these kinds of guys, they ain't Seth Luttrell. Obviously they're going to know him, Neil Brown. They, they, our guys know him, but the, the casual UNC fan, the 
even Rams club members that donate and whatnot and get seats, you know, they may not drill down, you know, on this list the way the hardcore does. And and so Bubba holds a press conference and he brings up Neil Brown and here's our next coach. And, and half the people that are sitting in Keenan stadium on a Saturday are going to say, what's a Neil Brown and where did you get him from? You know, um, do you so, want to make, do you want to make your decision based on that thinking at all though? I mean, should that even enter? I think your... you've got to make a hire that excites the football fan base. I think that has got to be near the top of your priority list when you hire. I don't think, coach. I don't think that's very realistic at most jobs because most people only really know power five coaches and most programs are not going to be poaching another power five pro uh, coach to come coach their uh, coach at their place, especially with the buyouts these days. It's just not, that's, that's not, I mean, look at, look at where, uh, you know, some of the most successful coaches have come from. Those are guys that were not usually hired from some other power five program and, and work their way up. Uh, you know, or moved over from one job to another. That's not that common. Uh, and so the other thing to to talk about the, the offensive versus defensive side, you know, you want to be careful about hiring another offensive guru or an offensive coach. I just think generally today in today's game, it's usually a mistake to hire a defensive head, head coach. Just as a, just as a matter of, you know, of the you know, way that I, the game I'm works. With you. I'm with you. And, and I'm not saying any of those guys would be a bad hire. I think they would be. And I think uh, the roster at North Carolina is certainly built to maximize, you know, and uh, accentuate the talents of an offensive-minded coach much more so than a defensive coach by far. Um, you know, who's going to do better in his first year at UNC? Um, Brent Venables or uh, Neil Brown? You know, I mean – my guess would be Neil Brown if you're going to, you know, just pick a guy. Um, but I bet you that uh, there's a lot more people at UNC who know who Brent Venables is than know who Neil Brown is. Right. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Because he's closer to home. He's but, closer does that to mean, home but does that mean he'd be the better hire beyond the first know. six weeks? I do not know. But I do think that, you know, Tommy and I have talked about this and – uh, you know, I've talked about this with other people. I think that North Carolina has a base of support, a number that you can kind of count on to show up, come hell or high water. And, and that number, I would say 20 years ago or 15, 10 years ago was probably somewhere around 35 to 40,000 people that are just going to show up and cheer cause they, love UNC and they go to football games and that's their thing. I don't think that number is that high anymore. I think yeah, that it's number not as has, high for anybody anymore. I think, well, I, I, you know, at North Carolina, particularly given the last, you know, decade, uh, that North Carolina has gone through and even the decade before that wasn't all that rosy, you know, I think, and, and, and some people have told me that North Carolina has lost two generations of, of football fans. And, you know, I, and correspondingly, I think the base, uh, the people that are just going to show up because you want them to, 
because you, you feel like they're obligated to show up is much smaller these days. And I think those are the people that they've lost. You saw uh, that I, Saturday. Yeah, I mean, yes. Yeah. But, and, for the, but for the free freebies and the military appreciation and the, you know, a plus students and all that stuff, the place is, it was already a ghost town with those people there. Right. Yeah. And, and so I, I think probably near the top of the priority list is which of these names, which of these guys is going to move the needle with the base? How many people are going to keep their tickets? How many people are going to renew their tickets? How many people are going to come back in the fold that have already given up their tickets? I looked at the attendance figures the other day, historically, and after North Carolina fired Butch Davis, before they fired him, they were averaging right at 57,000 fans a game in attendance. After they fired Butch, they've been averaging around 50,000 fans. They lost, seven, they lost about 7,000 fans that just walked out the door because they were so ticked off about how that all went down for one reason or another. They could have been ticked off, ticked off for because they thought North Carolina had sold out the big town football, or they could be ticked off because they thought Bush Davis was done wrong. But that's 7,000 people they lost at a whack and, and never a lot got of money. back and never got back. Yep. They never got those people back in the building. So that's the challenge, I think. And something that's got to be near the top of the list is who can we get that's going to appeal to the base, sell tickets, get fannies and back in the seats in in Keenan stadium to the extent that that, you know, fits in with the day's landscape of, you know, the watching things on, you know, your flat screen and, and not going to games at all. You know, I, I think that's a challenge and, you know, I don't know that any of those people on that list that jump out to me, move that needle too much. One now, guy, one guy. Now, well, yeah. well, yeah, yeah. Now, now I'm going to, I'm going to challenge and then re- sort of build on what you were just saying, but you're going to challenge uh, and then agree with me. I like that. A little bit Plan of both. Of a, yeah. A little bit of both. Back. So on the one hand, I, I think it's short-sighted to say that, that what matters most is moving the needle in the immediate after after effects of hiring the coach. So to say what really matters is you got to have somebody who fires up the base in, you know, as soon as he's hired. Correction, I said it has to be high on the priority list. I didn't right, say it has but, to be the number. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. So, so even if that's high on the priority list, as I said in the last podcast uh, with, with, um, with Greg, the cautionary tale there is, is, is what we just saw at Florida State. Willie Taggart was absolutely the guy that the base was really excited about. He fired up the base, and then he's basically lost all goodwill with that, with that fan base as early as now. Right. So it helps only in as much as it sustains, you know, beyond the, the, the first off season, you do yeah. want a guy that's going to win that first press conference. You do want to go, but there are certain things you can do to help that happen. And, and a lot of that has to do with how you market the hire and all that. To me, what you're trying, what you need to do is you need to have a guy that after year one, you're confident is going to have people buying into the program and is going to have the base fired up after year one. And that's a slightly different thing. Now, 
where that goes for me, and this is something that, uh, you know, Tommy and Greg and I were talking off air after the last podcast. And I mentioned, you know, I have a particular rule for if, if I were a, an AD making the hire for a head coach, I have my number one rule for, for making that hire is very simple. And that is, if I were not hiring a football coach, if this were not a football hire, if I was hiring for, uh, just this person for something else, if I had a company that was not a football team, would I hire this person to run my company? Would this person be someone who I would hire to be the CEO of a company that's not a football team? And if the answer to that question is no, I don't think you hire that guy. And your cautionary tales on that are guys like, but you know, your most obvious examples, a guy like Butch Jones at Tennessee, right? You can't tell me that that guy could successfully run a company other than a football team. Well, he wasn't able to do that either. So he wasn't able. Well, I mean, he, he was able to do, he was able to be a, a success, a reasonably successful head coach. I think he was at Cincinnati, Cincinnati before, before, yeah. ten, before Tennessee. Yeah. Right. He was, he was left that team by Brian Kelly, I believe. Right. Yeah. Brian Kelly. But here's the thing. I've been around a lot of really, really good football coaches and I've been around ones that are average or ones that are just straight bad. I, I I've seen a lot of them. And this test to me is the one that's going to give you, it's the one that's going to give you the best chance of hiring a head coach for a power five job. Because the reality is a power five job like North Carolina is a, that's a, that is a major corporation. You're not just running a football team. You are managing a corporation in the way that a CEO has to run a corporation has to run a company. And the CEO's first job is setting the vision for the company and making great executive hires underneath him. That's the first job. And that has to do with evaluating and and bringing in good talent that's going to support your vision, right? And and so that's first job, project your vision through the organization, hire good hire good executives. That's your that's your coaching staff. And then the next job of the head coach is to be the outward facing uh representative of the company your ceo represents you to your board of trustees represents you to your shareholders if you're publicly held represents you to the people who might buy your goods and services represents your ceo is the face of your organization and that person has to be someone who knows how to do that who can who can fill a room who can run a press conference who can spin who can sell who can do all of that stuff like it's second nature that guy has to be able to talk and schmooze and do all of that stuff in addition to then also being organized and being able to to manage the organization and make sure that he hires a great COO, you know, an associate head coach and so on, who can help manage the organization according to the vision. But that's what you've got to hire. If you aren't hiring a guy that you would hire for some other company, he has no business being a, a, a top-level Power 5 head coach. And your mistake is Butch Jones is a guy that I'm telling you, that guy, if he were not a football coach, would be a gym teacher somewhere. <laughs> He'd be rolling out the basketballs for some middle school or high school, you know, telling the kids, all right, you know, you guys go over here and play and, you know, and just basically watching those kids play. But that's what that guy would be, right? And he'd be the gym teacher that everybody disliked. 
right? I'm telling you, that's what he is. If you if you've ever been in the room with a with Nick Saban or uh, Jimbo Fisher or Dabo Sweeney or uh, let's see, go down the list. I mean, I, I can go down the list of of a number. Bobby Bowden. I've been in the room with a lot of with a lot of top coaches, and I'm telling you, if if I had a company to run, I know if I had a Fortune five Fortune 100 company, and I and I had to had to make a hire, I know if I hire Nick Saban, I know my company is going to be run well, and I know he's going to represent that company and run it well, because he he's just that good. If he weren't a head coach in college football, that guy would be like a senator if he wanted to be he'd be a ceo for some company he that guy would be doing that similar with jimbo fisher you get him in the same room with the, and, and he's less organized and 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 than uh than saban and 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 there are certain things about saban that 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 he's got an advantage on jimbo on now jimbo's actually a warmer guy in person uh in terms of outwardly uh, to the outward-facing uh, stuff than than Saban. But you get Jimbo Fisher in a room, and you find out real quick that guy – I mean, I, I, there's somebody else that I know that that played a college sport who uh, was with me uh, in, the, in the room with Jimbo a, a few years ago, and he turned to me. He'd never met him before, and he said, man, I didn't play football, but, man, I would play for that guy. That guy was re- – and this was a guy that got his Ph.D. at UNC. And he's like, that guy was so impressive. Man, is he smart. If you spend time – Dabo Sweeney has, you know, a lot of people think he's some sort of goober. Spend 20 minutes with the guy and talk about just about anything. And that guy is smart. And that guy knows how to organize. He knows how to project his vision. He's confident in his own skin and he can carry a room. That's what you've got to hire. So, and that's what the interview process for me is about. So to me, it's not about finding the guy that moves the needle in minute one. The guy that wins the first press conference. Now, if you've got a guy that's going to lose the first press conference, that's disastrous. Like everything is set up to win the first press conference. That's okay. But what you've got to do is you've got to decide, is this a guy that's going to represent my program in such a way that all the people around him are, after he's, after he's projected his vision, after things start rolling, you see the organization and the discipline of the, of the, of the organization and the, 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 the quality of the organization that this guy's running are obvious. And then you start to, to spend time with this guy outside and you see, you know, some of the, the people who are donating money to the program and they spend time with him and they're like, man, okay, this guy, this guy's sharp. This guy's got it to get, if you get that kind of guy, then you're going to have a success. The mistake that so many ADs make is they hire the hot young X's and O's guy or the guy that's had success somewhere, you know, say a, a, a G5 school or whatever. And they assume that that success is just going to work its way up. But that guy, if you apply the CEO test, doesn't, doesn't actually pass the CEO test. And so you end up with a Butch Jones or you end up with one of those guys where it's like, you know what? This guy was a good defensive coordinator because he knows how to put, how to, you know, he knows roughly the right, schemes to call in the right cases or he knows how to fire up his defense to you know get this done the right way and all that you look at you know uh will muschamp at florida he just he failed the ceo test and he's he's grown in that since but he's still you know you look at him he he especially at florida he was a guy that just was temperamental he was a meathead 
and you can't hire a meathead for this kind of job. So what you've got to do is you've got to find and target that. If I'm Bubba Cunningham, I'm applying that test to everybody I talk to. And, it, and if Mac Brown is the guy that I look at, and, and we all know, every one of us knows uh, that Mac Brown, pa- at least 20 years ago, passed that test 100%, right? Mac Brown is, he come, that, like you were saying, he comes across in a room like that. <laughs> he could sell you know, ice cream to an Eskimo kind of thing, right? Um, so if, but if he's the guy that passes that test the best and you think you can, you can support him and he can bring in quality, uh, quality executives, you know, quality assistants to support his vision, then maybe he is the guy. But if you find a younger guy that you look at and you're like, man, if I, if I had a startup in Silicon Valley, I'd want to, even if this guy didn't even know my product, it's the quality of the human being here. It's the quality of the, this guy's ability to project, the, project what he has. Man, I, I want to hire this guy because I'm convinced that if you got a, uh, if you if you went to and found a an ace an A level CEO who knew really nothing about football, but was one of those like guys that really uh, learned how you know could learn quickly, and you just sat him down and taught him over say a course of a summer the basic tactics and strategies of, of football and all this and, and let him get sort of into intuition for it. And then had him run a football organization as a head coach with initially some support from good assistants. I think that guy would be more successful than a lot of the assistants who came up through the chain who are football guys, because those parts of the job are that important these days in these big organizations. So in that sense, a guy like, Matt Brown would be less disastrous than, you know, hiring some meathead coach who, you know, may, may seem like the flavor of the week or he's running a really, really, uh, you know, aggressive offense and, you know, has the, you know, he's a scheme junkie or whatever you want to get that other guy. And that's where a guy like, uh, uh, who's out at, um, at Oklahoma, uh, it's getting late at night, but, um, Lincoln Riley. Yeah. Lincoln Riley. You spend a little time with Lincoln Riley. I, I, I had a friend who played for him. Uh, at ECU. And he told me, he's like, Lincoln Riley, man, that guy is, he, he would be, he, again, he'd be a CEO somewhere. Like he, that guy's so smart. He's going to be a great coach, great head coach somewhere. This was several, you know, some years back. And, you know, the same thing with, with some of these others, those are guys that are going to be who, what you're looking for. You've got to find that. But your thoughts just to sort of wrap it up. I, I listened to it and Jason came around to it. Sounds like the guy we talked about to start the show, really. Um, but, Do you think we wore him down, Tommy? I'm not convinced <laughs> of that. But, but, and and let me just say, I'm not, uh, I'm not pimping for Mac Brown. Let me just get that out there. I, my concern is that once you, if it's not, if it's not going to be Mac Brown, and we can just all agree on that, if it's not, uh, assuming that that's not the case. Which guy on this list jumps out at you that can check all the boxes that need to be checked? Uh, and, you know, I'm just not seeing that. Um, but to, to help close out the show, I will give you one uh, story uh, that involves one of the coaches that's on Max Lifts, uh, Scott Satterfield. And I don't know that it happened this way, but. Uh, in uh, the as Jerry Moore's career was you know, coming to an end at Appalachian State, uh, a couple of years before that, 
um, I was uh, attending a media event up in the mountains, and the guy I ended up uh, golfing with it was in my golf cart when I, in my foursome, and I rode with him. Um, was Charlie Cobb, the athletic director at the time for Appalachian State. And, and he was just as uh, open, as open book as you ever meet, just tell you anything that you asked him and seemed very genuine about it. And so I asked him, I said, okay, now as an athletic director, Jerry Moore, you're going to have to replace him probably unless you leave. Um, how are you going to go about that? Uh, do you have a short list? What, what's your process? How are you going to deal with that? And I don't know that this is how it worked out, but this is what he told me he was going to do. He said that here's what I'm going to do when Moore retires, I'm going to get all of the assistant coaches in a room and tell them if you guys can pick out one of your number to be the next head coach at Appalachian state. If y'all can all agree on who that guy is, that's the guy I'm going to hire. If you can't, then all bets are off. I'll, you know, I may go outside the staff. I could do, do whatever I want to do. But if you decide amongst yourselves that you come out of that room and you say, this is the guy, then that's the guy that all likelihood I'm going to, after doing due diligence that I'm going to end up hiring. And Satterfield was offensive coordinator on that staff when, uh, Jerry Moore left the program. There was some miscommunications. I understand there about whether he was really going to thought he was really going to leave or contract negotiations or whatever. But, um, if that's what happened, that speaks pretty well of Satterfield to me that, um, and I don't know that that's what happened. That's what Charlie Cobb told me was going to happen, but it, it could have gone down much differently. But if it happened that way, that would speak pretty highly of him that all those assistant coaches looked at one another and said, this is the guy we want leading us. Um, so anyway, I just thought I'd share that, that story, um, uh, with listeners of the podcast for what it's worth. Well, Jason, one thing, your discussion there, um, and this has been the easiest podcast I've ever done because I just like <laughs> press record. But um, you have been pushing our buttons, is what you've been doing. Yeah, yeah I get you, it. You've been, you've been the you've been the Godfather, you know, pulling the strings behind the scenes here. <laughs> yeah. Let's be real. Yeah, I just press record. Um, but I mean, and what you discussed and how you have to find that guy. Obviously, their um, history, their their work experience, their. Uh, biography, all of that stuff that's out there, but how quickly can that be accomplished by an athletic director like Bubba Cunningham to go through all that, to dig through all that? And I know, you know, a lot of times they talk about search committees and all that kind of crap, but what's a realistic time frame to do all that due diligence? Because this time next week, North Carolina fans are going to be clamoring for something. As an athletic director, how long does it reasonably take to accomplish everything you outlined? Or is it just something maybe you might just know? know yeah, I mean? I mean, the hard part is that that everything is so accelerated now because of the early signing day. Uh, and not everybody's season is over 
I mean, you got teams that are going to bowls and different coaches aren't available. Um, so the, the really hard part here is that it takes a little bit of time. Like you said, first of all, you have to, you have to comb through and figure out what guys are on your list based on, I think what you have to do is you have to, you have to bait, you have to set up some, some metrics for which guys actually belong in consideration based on record reputation and, and so on within the industry. So you have, you know, some metrics on performance and things that, you know, that you value. And there's, you know, some companies that provide analytics for that sort of thing. Uh, one, one guy I know, uh, 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 a, uh, sort of internet buddy of mine, uh, Dave Bartu, you know, he runs a, uh, a, 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 a search assistance firm that does some of that for, for ADs across the country. Uh, and so you get your idea for what guys you actually want to talk to or that you're, that you're interested in. And then after that, you have to find a way to be able to actually spend time with this person, to be in the room with this person. And that's hard with all the, you know, plane watching and all this other stuff these days, because coaches, can't be seen looking for another job while they have one. So that, that makes it really hard. The, 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 the short answer is that there's no easy, oh, well, you know, it just takes, you know, it'll take at least two weeks or whatever. There's no easy answer to that. Uh, the other thing is that I think getting it right is so important that if it takes two months to get it right, you have to take the two months. You do not hire out of you cannot afford to hire out of panic and hire the wrong guy because now you're setting yourself back five, ten, five to ten years. If you set yourself back one recruiting class, or if you set yourself back, you know, five months, but you hire the right guy, then that's worth it. But you cannot hire out of panic and just hire because you need to hire you need to make sure you make the hire before the before the signing day or anything else like that you can't be short-sighted on this kind of thing and you have to make sure that you're going to get yourself into a situation where you have the chance to actually look eye to eye with this person to assess to me again do the CEO test and you have to also investigate with other people who've been around this coach you know, other people who've coached with this coach, is this guy, you know, if you had to hire for something other than football, would you hire this guy for a CEO, hire this guy to be a CEO, you know, prior, you know, uh, ADs that this guy's worked for, you have to make those calls, you have to do all that. Uh, and, you know, there are some interesting approaches for how to do this, but, and, and each guy, each uh, uh, AD is going to have his own process, but to me, you have to be patient enough and committed enough to to getting it right that you're willing to maybe take some of the bad press to to wait a little bit. So uh, easier said than done. All of this easier said than done. But um, but I think you have to you have to be uh, committed to the mid to long term over anything that's done in the short term. Should be a fun week. Leading up to NC State, coming to Keenan Stadium on Saturday. Uh, Buck and Jason, that'll wrap it for us. Jason, I'll talk to you at some point, maybe Wednesday night, before Thanksgiving holiday as Greg, you and I preview the NC State game. Buck, we'll talk again next Sunday. Should be a fun week. Y'all boys, enjoy your holiday. We'll talk soon. Will do, and I'll see you on Saturday, Tommy, as usual. Oh, yeah, that'll be a fun one as well. Um, Lots of drinks. 
<laughs> yeah, we, we'll actually solve all the world's problem that day. Yeah, we'll, we'll start working on the big stuff uh, yeah. this time. Y'all boys, take care. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.